I'm Michael Laurie and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello and welcome to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Adam McKendry back hosting again. Gareth is off for one more week, but he will be back next week. Hopefully with another game to look forward to. But for now, joining me as always is Jonathan Bradley. Hello, hello. And back for his now double figures appearance, Michael Sadler. Whoa. Uh, staggered, yes. Hello, everyone. <laughs> of course, we are going to look forward to the massive game this weekend's Pro 14 semi final away to Glasgow. We've also got a signing to look back on. The Ireland Under 20 squad was announced this morning, a revamp for the Danske Bank Schools Cup, and as always, your listener questions. First of all, I want to know did you guys watch the Champions Cup final? I did watch it. Um, I enjoyed it. I don't have the same sort of Saracens hate that other people have. Um, probably mainly due to Mark McCall, I suppose. But um, obviously happy for him. You'd rather see an Irish team win, I suppose. But um, no qualms about the result. Supreme performance from them, really. It's very similar to what the, I suppose we had talked about last week of just when they have that core, very similar to England, when they have that core of forwards available, you're. Uh, you're not hiding enough nothing sometimes against them and I suppose the really impressive thing was during what you know Joe Schmidt calls those championship minutes either side of half time when uh, they really took a stranglehold on the game and saw it through there um, fair play to Alex Kidd I think he only uh, only took his kit off there like yesterday having just partied straight through so absolute rager insane like, like out <laughs> in the pub in his bright uh, bright yellow Deodora boots for about three days it looked like did you know there was sure? he must you have been smelling you'd right really like to hope so there were an awful lot of the Saris players putting pictures of him up with a wee sort of like bum bag <laughs> to hold his money <laughs> whenever he was going to the Rhine and just in full kit apparently they were posting like the addresses of where they were going to party right. and then had to take it down when they realised that probably wasn't the most sensible <laughs> thing to be doing that's right it's a party in St Albans this afternoon yeah. sort of say. if they had any fans it would have been absolutely yeah. around true, true rugby um, behaviour Michael look, you watched it too yeah. yeah as I said I would have been absolutely delighted if Leinster had won but it was pretty obvious um, at half time or in, in the red zone that they weren't going to win to me going off 10 all for Saracens was, was as good as a 15 or 20-10 lead for the Saracens psychologically and they just hunted them down and basically you know, Leinster couldn't breathe, they were suffocated, they couldn't get anything going at all. And I think one of the key moments came early in the second half and Gary Ringrose, for some reason, perhaps because psychologically they were already in a bad place, I don't know, he decided not to go for the overlap outside when a try was screaming to be scored. Um, then Liam Williams won the turnover, whether legally or illegally, it doesn't really matter, he won that amazing turnover. Saracens kicked down the field, Leinster to line it and lost, I made a muck of that, and in that moment, bang, 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 you make mistakes like that against Saracens, you're never going to beat them, and that's exactly what happened. Well, as great as that final was, it's not what we're here to talk about. You may hear in the background a few cheers and yells, that's because we are at Kingspan Stadium this week, where Ulster are training, they are preparing in the glorious sunshine for this week's semi-final against Glasgow at Scotston on Friday night. I think there's nothing really else but to get stuck in. Guys, what are the thoughts ahead of this one? What are we expecting? It's a tough one, like it really is, you know. Um don't want to dampen all your sunshine and enthusiasm there, but um I mean it's really nice. Like I have no idea where this weather's come from, but I am loving it, even though I'm stuck in the office for ninety percent of it. Yeah, well it's 
it's tough Adam it's, it's, tough. it's, it's tough for you I don't know what else to say um, it's a good day to work from home anyway um, yeah I think Glasgow as we've seen throughout this season are probably in that upper tier of teams that you would have Leinster Glasgow probably push Munster in there and then you've got a group of teams below that Ulster are probably the best of the rest um, in that sort of second tier off the basis of this season but to go away to Glasgow to one of those top tier teams is a really tough ask um, I suppose the thing that would augur well for Ulster is whenever they have had these bad defeats against teams during this season they've really learned from them you know they had the bad result in Tillman Park came back admittedly not particularly impressively but uh, beat Munster here Connacht the two losses came back and beat them here Leinster two losses came back and beat them and the middle one of those losses obviously uh, the dreaded moral victory but um, something that has been impressive throughout this season I think is how they've um, changed their approach against teams how they've responded against teams and find a way to beat them when the early impressions from games in the season were that they were there was really a the opposition was a cut above them. Michael, you did a great interview with Dan Tui for the I Sunday did. Life. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he was talking about that semi-final back in 2015. Yeah. And they also had that... I was third. there. I was there. You, you were there. I think I mentioned that before. But anyway, come on. <laughs> um, Ulster also had that 37 loss uh, back in April as well. What, what is mm. it about Scotston that Ulster just don't seem to like? Um... Well, a lot of teams don't really like it, but um, interestingly, what I think just Edinburgh won there in the Pro 14 this year, and Saracens typically managed to win as well in, in, in the Champions Cup. Teams don't like the place. I don't know if it's got anything to do with the artificial surface. Um, off the record, Dan said yes, but he hadn't played in the artificial surface because I don't think it was there, when, certainly for that game. I think they only put it in after that, and I'm not sure if he ever did, but he said it does make a difference, certainly when you're going from playing on a normal surface to an artificial surface. The ball bounces differently, they're just different things about scrummaging and so on and so forth. Uh, but I actually think, um, though it's an extremely difficult place to go, I, I actually think Ulster might just have a slight edge here. Not because... Is that optimism I hear? It is a possible optimism and the reason is, well look, last year Scarlets went there and did a job on them, they turned them over. I think that was the first knockout game, wasn't yeah. it? Defeat for a home team, the Pro 14. Yeah. They did it. It's a one-off game. Ulster have nothing to lose. Glasgow means sitting here for what about three weeks without a game. Exactly what happened last year. Scarlets turned up and did them. Um, the pressure is on Glasgow to deliver. They are a quality team, and look, you could quote stats forever now about how good they are in the league and how many tries they've scored and how many conceded and blah de blah. But they still they haven't played, and they've only won one title. They probably should have won more, but for the likes of Leinster being around. Um, I think that if, if there's any side going into this with pressure on them, it's them to deliver what everyone expects them to deliver, which is another home win. They say they've learned a lot from last year, but I don't know, we'll, we'll wait and see. I think, look, I'm not saying Ulster will win, because hand on heart, I, I, I would, I would favour Glasgow, but I think in this one-off atmosphere with Ulster's attitude with nothing really to lose and a strong, decent decent Ulster team going that they certainly have a I think have a fair chance of doing it regardless of the hoodoo that might exist there's a lot of pressure on Glasgow to do it as well because the final is in Glasgow I mean yeah 
Ulster obviously talk about the regret of not playing in their home final at Kingspan yeah. whenever uh, it was there in 2015. Glasgow obviously have the chance to play at uh, Celtic Park in, in a week's time. It's one of those things that it's like if you if you win, then the fact that the final is in Glasgow has acted as a carrot, and if you lose, you've crumbled under the pressure. You know, it's it's a double edged sword, really. And we saw that, I suppose, in 2015, where realistically Ulster probably came closer to winning than at the time we thought they were going to. Do you know what I mean? So I wouldn't categorize that as you know the pressure got to Ulster of having that final in Belfast. That I would say was more of a motivation that, that got them closer to it than they otherwise could have done. For me, Glasgow are a better side this year than they were last year. Michael sort of mentioned that layoff that they've had and that's a really good point because you know Scarlet's last year had um, the Cheetahs first up at home in the same way that Ulster have had Connacht and the break between quarterfinals and semifinals is probably perfect I was talking to John Cooney at the weekend and he was saying about you know that time that they've had has been really good because those niggles that you pick up in say November December time linger throughout the entire season but a lot of these boys have only played one game since the Edinburgh since the Edinburgh win because most of them didn't play Leinster so Ulster are fresh Glasgow are fresh too but it's are they going to be fresh but rusty like we saw last year but I think the a part of last year was they were such front runners in the same way that we've seen Leinster this year and they had the added uh, I suppose feeling of going out in Europe so they really really didn't play a lot of games they played more this year that mattered so I don't think it's going to be as big a factor as it was last year I also think they're just playing better rugby than last year we've seen that in the Champions Cup now they had a horrendously tough Champions Cup group last year but they really fell flat in Europe whereas <laughs> similar to everyone else that has come up against Saracens that was the main roadblock for them in the quarterfinals yeah and I think as well you alluded that their form did fall away a bit in the new year they haven't got that issue coming in now they do have the break that's true um, they'll have learnt and absorbed a lot more this year um, on any working on any assumptions that they have by right a place in the Pro 14 final just because they're playing at home um, obviously they took an absolute tanking Saracens and, and that will have that will be something that will have lingered long and they will want to they will badly want to do something about that because they don't want that to be you know how, how people remember their season so even though I was you know sounding very optimistic potentially I, I do think I mean they do have an edge in, they, they definitely definitely have an edge and you know they are expected to win and I don't think anyone will be surprised if they win about their place in the final but I think that will work many ways to Ulster's advantage that very thing just like the Aviva Stadium all, all over again if they can produce something similar to that when it wasn't really expected and there's no reason that they can't uh, then they could really pin them to their collars and it could be a very very tight game as indeed it was actually in 2015 but I don't want to go on about that Handicap's <laughs> 9 if anyone's interested right. just to put another <coughs> that, um, that seems a little bit that seems a little bit strong in Basco's favour in my opinion, well, whenever you whenever you factor in, you know, one-off knockout game, two teams that are considered to be Glasgow would definitely be favourites. But would you put Ulster as minus nine, or sorry, um, would you put Ulster as plus nine? 
No, I don't think so, but um, I suppose that's that's what the experts are saying, you know? Yeah, yeah, well, we, we shall see. Babies don't, do, babies don't go out of business. Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't. Yeah. Do you put much stock in the April's result? No, no. Absolutely not. I would, I would be absolutely zero zilch into that whatsoever. And that, that will be asked undoubtedly at today's press conference. They know that's coming. And the answer will be, well, not, well we'll have learned and we'll have looked at that. But absolutely none. That was that was a game. What That came, was it five or six days six, after Leinster? Six days. Six days. Um, Gla- yeah. Glasgow had the six-day turnaround as well. Mm-hmm. But I think they probably put a lot less emotional energy into it, given that they were beat out the gate, essentially. And, you know, they were playing at home, which was a big difference. So they had a point to prove. Ulster, I think, were just drained um, emotionally and physically from playing in the Aviva six days before. To me, that was the most, you know, if I was going to put um, if I was going to put a paycheck on an Ulster loss this season, that, that would have been it. That was the most predictable, um, predictable defeat of the season. But I don't think it means anything in this game. And we've already said, you know, how past big defeats don't seem to have hampered them in other games this year well Rory Best and Ian Henderson both missed that game they're both back for the, or they're both back for this game it's looking like Jacob Stockdale and Lee Ludic are both going to be back for this game as well injury wise Ulster are trending in the right way as well it, it, it seems like everything's looking good <laughs> Careful, careful. <laughs> we have been here. You can before. tell I'm trying to get the optimism we, up here. We have been here before, but no, I, I think they travel in a good headspace. I think they travel, you know, in, with a robust team. I think they have every chance of putting in um, a really quality performance <coughs> worthy of a semi final with a place uh, in the final up for grabs and a chance to, dare I say it, maybe, you know, think about. I've said actually silver. I have said silverware. <laughs> that, that thing again. That is the peak of optimism. Um, I well, I think I think the winner of this game wins the competition. That's a really big take. So you you think whoever wins this game is going to beat Munster and Leinster? Yeah. On what basis? On the basis that I think Leinster are, as we said, throughout this year, Leinster aren't the team that they were last year. They've lost a lot of depth. They're going to lose more depth. Um, there's obviously players, young players coming through, but we've seen this a lot with Leinster. Like the hangover of losing a European final is massive, and Munster. Like I've spoken to a few guys who would have their ear to the ground. I wouldn't claim to have my ear to the ground in Munster at all, but I've spoken to a few people that have, and it's a strange, strange place at the minute. Like that uh, Jerry Flannery, Felix Jones thing is bizarre. Um, the interim. Having an interim CEO is a strange place to be in. Um, they haven't, for me, looked great. I think they've looked good, but I think there's probably more question marks about um, Monsters' form of late than certainly Glasgow's, and possibly I think you could argue Ulster's. I, th- I think both those provinces come into this semi-final damaged, both damaged for different reasons. I think it's a fair point Johnny's making. I think if Glasgow win this game, I think there's every... Uh, I think they will definitely win the final. If Ulster win the game and go up against either Munster or Leinster, I can't be absolutely sure what way that will... I couldn't be so definitive at this juncture. But neither Munster or Leinster are firing anywhere near the, you know, the optimum 
kind of stuff. They're, ju they're just not doing it. Leinster will be badly damaged and beaten up. Munster have been curiously a bit of an enigma, really. And I don't think any of the mood music that's coming out of there is going to help uh, matters for them in regards to producing on the pitch. But having said that, I think they do have a good chance against Leinster because of the damage that have been done to Leinster. So and they've got Carberry and Arrows back as well. Yeah. Put, putting optimism aside, do you think this is actually a, a good chance for Ulster to win silverware? Not, not in the case of being all happy-clappy, thinking that Ulster are brilliant. Do you think just the way that the other teams are? I think any, any, like any time you're 160 minutes from silverware, it's a good chance. And I think certainly in the media, we were possibly... Um, oh, sorry, in the media and back when before we would have been working in the media I think there was a danger that you were guilty of saying well it's okay to lose this game because they're going to be better next year and they're going to win next year but the next year never came um, for that group of players so I don't think that you know we should be writing this off as a chance for silverware because this is a decent team um, coaching structure seem to have got things right they're heading in the right direction but I certainly wouldn't be saying, oh, well, things will line up next year or two years or three years because you never, you just never know. And Ulster, more than any other team in the Pro 14, really, um, know, should know that better than anyone. There's only due one. <laughs> Put it that way. I think um, we've been saying that since about 2011. <laughs> yeah, and on paper, they've had better teams that should have done it by now. And for various reasons, they didn't. Um, that particular Scotstown game was a semi-final, it didn't mean they would have gone on to win the final. Some people at the time thought that that would have been perhaps too much for them to, to deal with, the, the hype of having their own home uh, final, but we never, we'll never know. Um, but this is, a, this is a decent team, and this is a team that can play a level of consistency that we haven't seen for a while. We don't, we don't always get it, but when we do get it, you know, they, they do it well. Um, that's why I was saying, I, I don't think you can completely write them off from doing something in, in, in Scotstown and, and I won't completely write them off but I don't expect them to win having said that but I do think that they could uh, they could give Glasgow um, a hell of a game If they are to win what specifically do they have to do right on the pitch? Well they have to get the line out right which they didn't get right the last time now Handy coming back in so get your line out caller and your best line out operator back in and obviously the comfort level with best I don't know how many times they've played together for Ulster and Ireland now with Handy calling the lineouts but it's a lot um, you still have the large Johnny Gray shaped obstacle in the Glasgow pack um, he was brilliant in that unreal, game unreal in that game just and such a good player but such a good su such a destructive force at the lineout um, like he's got a great engine and he's a very good player but for me where he's most impactful is on opposition throw in the lineup um, so you have to get that right with Glasgow you really have to get your breakdown right because the ball on that surface is so quick they're so used to it like they it's not just that they play on that every other week they train on that every other day so that's what they're used to you know that level of speed at the breakdown and if you allow Glasgow speed at the breakdown then they can play off the cuff Hastings has been superb all year and you know aside from him you've got Stuart Hogg as a playmaker so you can neutralise one 
and the other can still make something happen. They've got really dangerous wings. Um, DTH van der Merwe coming back for them. Uh, Tommy Seymour on the other wing. He has made a habit of scoring against his former employers, I think. Um, so yeah, there's a lot, a lot that Ulster have to get right. But you know, Michael says that Aviva level of performance again. We've seen it before when we're saying there's an awful lot they have to get right. They can't do it. They can't get it right, you know. But those for me would be the key areas of breakdown, line out, and just to just to name all the basics. Obviously, they have to get the scrum right as well. Yeah, which is a difficult thing to do. And again, it'll not be said. And they'll go, well, we we train Aquinas, whatever. But that's not. It's just not the same. Scrums are very different in on that surface. Very different. Um, different footwork's required, I believe. Different. Uh, types of boots, every, everything. I, I, I think it's um, it, it's not straightforward. There's uh, a bit of unfamiliarity. Yep, totally. I mean, Scarlets complained bitterly about it last year, even though they won. Yeah. I don't know if you remember yeah. the, mm-hmm. the burns yeah. that they, they got. But then they complained a lot. Remember, they complained about playing the final at the Viva then as well, which I suppose you take the point, but that, that's the way it goes. Um, you don't get that many other people complaining about it. In private, players will say it is a big factor. In public, they will say it's, it's, it doesn't matter. Um, it's but a shame it that isn't it yeah the fact that everyone's like no it doesn't matter like we train at Aquinas it's all fine it's all good you'd rather they just came out and were like no it's a shambles <laughs> yeah, it, it, it couldn't be any more difficult for us uh, and the first real look we get at how to play that surface is when we walk out on it or from memory from say I know they played them recently but there's nothing like playing on it regularly and it's little wonder Glasgow were so good at home really um, you hear about it club games too it's the same thing with anyone has to play in the Aviva you know that they struggle, or, or even at Donnybrook, the way teams can find it very, very difficult and, and will complain about it afterwards. But every surface is slightly different, so uh, you know. I don't know. Another, another factor as well, they've got a you know half back. They've got to have that greater control. Um, uh, you know, Adam Hastings will play and control that game in a way that must really need Billy Burns to step up, and they don't have to rely entirely on John Cooney to run that game. We do need a big, big, a big, big game from Billy uh, in order to. You know, tactically call those shots from those pivotal positions. Do you think Ulster can produce a Leinster-esque performance like they did down in the Aviva, or is that the kind of performance you can only produce in a big European game against your inter-pro rivals? I, I think this is a huge game. I don't, I don't think like the motivation to produce that type of performance is going to be lacking because, again, it's something that players don't want to talk about too much but like the emotional factor of Rory Best Darren Cave is there for them the motivation of knowing that you're seven days away from um, possibly playing in a final you know all of that should weigh into the fact that you have that same emotional intensity that you had in the Champions Cup quarter final like I think the days have gone now certainly of especially here where there's such a thirst for silverware Monster as well you know, having both those sides haven't watched Connacht lift the Pro 14. I think the days are gone where it's like, oh, well, it's only the league, you know. That that might play in November, that might play in January and February, but I don't think it plays in May. So, I think Michael's pretty much already done this, but nail your colours to the mast. Who's winning on Friday? <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm nailing my colours to the mast, but um, I'm going to say that I think Glasgow are going to win. Um, yeah, I... I Glasgow will win um, but I, I do believe it's going to be uh, very tight and I do believe uh, rightly or wrongly 
that Ulster have another big performance in them. Um, but I don't think it's going to be enough. Uh, but again, like I said last week, I hope I'm wrong. And that didn't work, did it? <laughs> You're saying I hope I would be wrong about Leinster, you know, but then they, yeah. they lost. I, I don't see Ulster really coming away um, with uh, the opportunity of another trip to Glasgow the following week. I don't want to contradict myself by saying, you know, having previously said that you can't waste these chances when you're so close to silver but if Ulster do go over and put in a performance I think they'll still be going on their summer holidays feeling good about the work that they've done over the past um, 10 months you know there'll be obvious bitter disappointment to lose in the last game but every team but one loses in the last game you know um, well we, we talked about this before the Connacht game where we said if they lost to Connacht although it's still been a great season it would have put a massive Asterisks after it yeah. because they went out in the quarterfinals. Whereas unless they go if, out here and get hooked by forty or fifty points, you don't have that asterisk if you lose a game in Scotland. Do, do you think there still should be? I mean, I don't think so, because at the end of the day, you're not. It's not under. If you go in and play well, you're not underperforming. If you play well and lose at Glasgow, whereas I think last week they would have underperformed. If sorry, two weeks ago they would have underperformed if they hadn't won that game. Like I think if Ulster had played their best game and Connacht played their best game, Ulster should have won. Whereas this week, if Ulster play their best game, but Glasgow play nine out of ten of their best game at home, then Glasgow win. Well, before we move on from the Glasgow game, one thing that a lot of people wanted to know about, uh, Paul McIntyre and Dave Blair both asking the questions on Twitter, and several of you replied to them, is about the referees this week. Uh, John Lacey will referee the game. He'll be assisted by Andy Brace and George Clancy as touch judges. Ollie Hodges is the TMO, all from Ireland. It's, it's an all-Irish officiating team in a game involving an Irish team and it's made even stranger by the fact that there's an all Welsh refereeing team doing the Champions Cup playoff that you could easily just switch around I mean what what are your guys thoughts on the fact that we've got an all Irish refereeing team for a Pro 14 semi-final involving an Irish team I think that everything you just said there is correct <laughs> would be my take on it well just trying to give Ulster every bit of leg up that uh, is required I, I, I could say it is I wonder yeah. does it though like say you're covering Ulster for a national newspaper right you're probably a lot harder on them because you don't want even if it's subconsciously I think that you're harder on them because you want to fully get away from any accusation of bias it, it might be subconscious it might only be one thing and obviously, like these guys are professional referees, so it shouldn't factor in. The Pro 14 has obviously made a decision that it doesn't factor in. But from a purely PR point of view, and you know, a purely um, just ensuring that this conversation doesn't take place, I agree with you 100% that it's a weird look to have Welsh officials at the All Welsh game and Irish officials in the Irish game. It's not a great way to market itself. As Johnny says, it, it shouldn't be a factor. If anything, it might even go the other way. You always get that sort of home team decisions, if you know what I mean. It, it can go that way. So it, it is a very strange-looking thing, but hopefully will not be something we're talking about afterwards. 
Well, we shall leave our talk about the semi-final there. Obviously, it is on Friday night. It is live on Premier Sports uh, 7.35 kickoff. Moving on to some of the other news from this week, and we have finally had news that Matt Faddis will be joining no. Ulster Rugby. Johnny, are you the most relieved man in Northern Ireland right now? I'm not relieved. <laughs> relieved. Relieved implies that I was worried about the story. No, you're relieved that you're not getting any questions anymore about it. Oh, well, that, that's more happy than relieved. Relieved, <laughs> relieved implied that I was sweating that it wasn't going to happen. Any idea why they left it this long? Do we know? I think when you, whenever you get signings like this nice, there's so much weight for whatever reason is put into the, the opposition and when they, not the opposition, the other team and when they want to announce it. And you know, there's kind, especially in Super Rugby, you've got strange contractual obligations with. Mitre 10 stuff as well when you're contracted to these sides but not um, I think I'm right in saying that they're not fully centrally central contracts aren't they Um, so you know you've got contracts with um, Mitre 10 teams to be talked about as well so yeah uh, probably cut our listener questions in about half there but yeah you you can trust me it's alright we talked about him before whenever uh, you broke the story that he was going to be signed but in terms of Fadis as a player, he's not necessarily one of those household names. He's never played for the All Blacks. The highest he's ever got is the All Blacks sevens. So he's he's not necessarily going to be a star name. But what's he going to bring to the squad? I'd see him in an ideal world as being giving you a second Louis Ludic, and if he's as good as Louis Ludic has been for Ulster, then I think you take that all day long. Like I think, especially in Irish rugby, and you know, you look at say Munster trying to set, or looking at possibly Pollard, but him going elsewhere. That to me is an example of where you're looking at your NIQs. Now, I don't, I think the days are gone um, of seeing frontline superstars signing for Irish provinces because the money's just not there. And that's why, to sort of take us off on a tangent, that's why it was. To get Marcel Katia re-signed, I thought was surprising in a lot of ways. So that's now four confirmed signings for Ulster next season. Um, mm-hmm. Jack McGrath, Gareth Milosinovic, <laughs> Sam Carter, and now Matt Faddison. Uh, Mark Dempsey wants to know, out of all the new signings, which do you guys think will make the most impact next year? I think I've said before that I don't think the Jack McGrath signing could have worked out any better for Ulster because you've got a hugely motivated player on a central contract who's got Lions pedigree I'd be very surprised if he's not superb for Ulster next year I'd like to see, I'm looking forward to seeing Sam Carter as well um, very much looking forward to seeing what he can do Sam Carter as someone who follows the Brumbies in Super Rugby I've been really impressed by him this year especially like as whenever we look at Ulster this year with some of the games where the lineouts maybe not gone quite as well as they would have hoped Carter is that go-to guy at the lineout who can call it really confidently so I think he's going to be a really good addition to fantastic the presence when he's Henderson's away or injured or whatever you know if, if yep. this guy can stay fit yeah, a crucial role to play I think interesting to see what happens when everybody's here I know we always talk about how you, you're not going to get everybody here at the same time but like um, Kieran Treadwell's really came come mm. along um, this season like he's been really really strong sort of since October time yeah. and then you know Alan O'Connor somebody so well thought of around here as well that um, 
depth in competition is what you want. It's just, it's interesting. Suddenly, lock does look very deep in terms mm. of uh, the stocks that they've got there. But we're not going to complain because we said like since we started doing this podcast, so we wanted to see them sign a lock and neither half. So. <laughs> Moving on to maybe some of the guys pushing through the system as opposed to coming into the system. The Arnold Under-20 squad was named this morning. This is Wednesday morning. Uh, 33-man squad, which is going to be cut slightly, I believe, before they head off Four, to the... Yeah. 28. It's going to be cut down to 28 before they head off to the Under-20 World Championships in Argentina. Seven Ulster players named in the squad. Back rowers Azer Allison and David McCann, along with loose head prop Callum Reed in the pack. And in the backs, fly half Bruce Houston, fullback Iwan Hughes, wing Angus Kernan, who's obviously played for the Ulster senior team senior team a few times, and centre Stuart Murr all included. That's a good representation for Ulster, isn't it? It is a sp- you know, during the Six Nations there were a few of those boys injured and then the representation probably looked fairly paltry um, during that campaign. So to see a few of those guys that missed out through injury coming back in, it certainly makes it look a little bit healthier. It'll be interesting to see sort of the 28-man squad, but personally I'm really looking forward to seeing Stuart Moore um, at this level. Um, he was somebody who did miss out on the, on the Six Nations. Um, Allison's another one. be interesting to see him. And Callum Reid, I suppose, as well, is someone who we've really had our eye on since um since schools level you know and um it's good to see him back in because i know he kind of took it a little bit of time out yeah not sure what he was going to do but now he's back and he certainly seems to be impressing by getting this call up yeah and you know having coming in off the back of um the six nations as well it'll be interesting to see how he gets on see because he's someone that whenever you saw him at schools level you probably earmarked him as a future ulster player and did you include John McKee in that? The old Belvedere hooker from Campbell? We, Probably uh, not. We, uh, he's I, also on it. I did so. not. Yes, he is formerly of Ulster, mm. now of Leinster. Given that, given that we claim like John Cooney and Jordy Murphy and Marty Moore as uh, our own when it comes to Ireland squad announcements, um, I think we'll, we'll have to leave the Leinster we'll, players to Leinster in this instance. Yeah. So all those games will be live on Air Sport, uh, but as we if said, <laughs> if you can get it, uh, the squad will be cut down before that. Hopefully, all those Ulster players will make it in the final squad to Argentina. Hoping I can get Air Sport because without giving away any secrets here, I will not be writing reports from uh, Rosario. So <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what happens if I can't get mm. it. Uh, moving on to some more news closer to home, the Danske Bank Schools Cup has undergone quite a significant revamp uh, earlier this week. It was announced that the t- competing schools will be split into four tiers. The three teams in tier four have dropped out of the competition. The teams in tier two and tier three have gone into a group stage, and the six winners of those groups and the best four runners up will join the six teams in Tier 1 in the knockout stages. If you've followed that, well done. Guys, what do you think of it? Um, I thought it was strange to have a Tier 4 and then be like the Tier 4 teams aren't in. <laughs> yeah. well, that's more just from a warning point of view, I guess. That was like the preliminary round, which was then called the first round. I mean, those schools have basically now been invited to leave and they're not yeah. involved in the structure at all. I'm led to believe it's a pilot project, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Um, whatever I, I know it said in the press release that yeah. they would be looking at the tiers every year. So, but it, I, I can't see how it's going to radically change. Um, 
something needed to be done, I suppose, and you're going to get, in theory, more competitive games. But I know for a fact, from my own experience with my own son, who's a Grosvenor, he, he, got, he got a Schools Cup game this year, proper, right? And that was the biggest highlight of his rugby career. Now, they lost to friends, but it was a very competitive game. And then they went out in a subsidiary competition, fine. But he got to play in the Schools Cup, and it really, really meant something to him and to his teammates. Now, looking at this, and I just happened to glance at where Grosvenor are, if they may not get through that, potentially, because I know they're away, I believe, at Strapan, which is a very hard place mm-hmm. to go for anybody. And I think they're, they play Sullivan away. I'm going to beat Sullivan. They would struggle to potentially, it's all on the Dalriada game potentially, they may not finish second and therefore that's no Scoots Cup rugby. No matter what way you look at it, that's a league. Well, um, I suppose, but, it, but I theoretically, suppose the argument is that they're getting three they're games getting out of the they're, they're getting but three Scoots Cup it's, games. It's but not the same. Because it's not knockout rugby. Yeah. It's not knockout rugby. You only go into knockout rugby in a subsidiary competition. But having said that, I guess something had to be done. It looked very antiquated the way it was. Now you're going to knockout with 16 teams so um, yeah that's right 16 teams because then the others come straight in don't they yeah um, so I suppose in a way in theory this should improve things in the sense that people are playing competitively again my only concern would be some of the lesser schools the interest might drop off because this isn't schools cup from the way you look yeah. at it that's that's all I know it's competitive um, but I know that they're they're looking at it, it's sort of not one thing or the other, but it's an attempt to try and progress the thing. And that's that's you know. good, I suppose, because they're at least taking steps to try and change it. And mm. I mean, look, this may not work, it may turn out to work, maybe people will absolutely love it, but at least they're making the steps to try and Yeah, I don't think they'll go back from this, they're yeah. not, they're not, this is it now. Um, mm-hmm. They may tweak it in mm-hmm. some way, but I, I don't, I mean, I have to say, look, I, I saw, I'm, I know I'm mad, but I, I did the Antrim Grammar Carrick Grammar uh, first round game this year, mm-hmm. and it was an absolutely cracking game of rugby. And I saw one of the best tries, in I saw all year a solo try. It was an absolutely incredible try. Neither of these teams will get the opportunity to play in this competition now. So I'm wondering what that will do for rugby at those schools. That's all. I think if you look, there definitely had to be change. Um, where I suppose people are looking at it and saying the change has fallen down is the very best teams have obviously decided that they are better off playing schools from Dublin, maintaining that fixture list of playing the best schools from the south to get their competitive rugby rather than playing more schools cup games. Mm. Um, so yeah, for those, those those top six teams, they still yeah. only play yeah. what they would have played so they, before. There's they, no change. They for still them, only so. come in in the same part. The argument for it, I suppose, is if the teams that they're going to be playing in the last sixteen have played more competitive games, then they're going to be more or in a better position to give those schools a game because there's probably too many games in that last 16 round where teams are putting 40 and 50 on the opposition the other I suppose issue for me and I'm not sure if anybody else cares about this this might purely just be me so it might be an odd gripe but if you want to get buzz around a competition then knowing that it's not going to be the main show in town when Ireland are playing so the first round of these group games is the quarterfinals of the World Cup the second round of these group games is a Heineken Cup weekend the third round of these group games is a Heineken Cup weekend the last 16 is a Six Nations weekend the quarterfinals are a Six Nations weekend 
So for me, looking at it from uh, how do you, how do you get the same buzz and like we've probably all experienced <laughs> the school's got buzz and maybe think it doesn't need any more buzz. Maybe it's taken seriously enough as it is. But if you are trying to create the vibrancy that you have in the Leinster Schools Cup, then to me it would have made sense to ensure that when you're doing this revamp, you move it so that there are weeks when it's the only show in town. Now obviously the World Cup isn't every year, but it looks like if they stay with that structure, that you're still going to have it going up against the Six Nations rather than having things move one week and having it played in Six Nations down weekends. Now, obviously, everything's geared towards having the final on St. Patrick's Day, and I'm not saying you should change that, but I think if you had, like, imagine if you had the Schools Cup on a Six Nations down weekend when Ulster were playing Zebra away on a Friday night. They obviously wouldn't play Zebra on a Friday night, but I didn't want to say Dragons again. We always pile on Dragons. <laughs> um, Very tactfully done. You know, where like Saturday's big rugby was Schools Cup, I think that would have been a huge thing for me, but again, that might just be me. Um, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, you're absolutely right. It's, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't look good. But also the big schools aren't getting... I mean, nothing will substantially change with the big six anyway because you're only talking about three games they'll continue playing friendlies and enter competitions presumably in the south mm-hmm. or they might do what Methody did this year and have their own competition though I think that was a one-off um, they do come into it looking a bit undercooked potentially but well, look, wait and see I suppose yeah like can. I imagine the option has been given to those six teams I don't know but I imagine that the option has been given to those six teams to be part of a round robin yeah. essentially make it make it the Champions Cup yeah, but it's obviously been decided by them. You know, the the idea was put forward in the quotes. There is no one size fits all solution for schools rugby. So those schools, I think, must have decided that they are better served by maintaining their current fixture lists. Well, I mean, there's six teams in tier one, and there yeah. are six groups in the round robin stage. So mm. you could have theoretically put one in each group, yeah. and then just had the six group winners. And the two best runners up going into the quarterfinals, and yeah. um, well, you know, m- maybe maybe they will look at that. Th- those schools will either play each other or even play yeah. these other schools in friendlies. Anyway, they'll just continue. Yeah. And you're talking about what, you know, the three games, and they'll all be over the same weekend. All these all these games mm-hmm. played are on the same weekend. So, um, I, but I mean, no, it 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 could have been, the timing of it was not wonderful looking. To put a better spin on it, if you take somebody like Aaron Saxon, now Aaron Saxon's not a perfect example because he was obviously playing Ulster A rugby at the time, but like we went to watch Aaron Saxon mm-hmm. in the Schools Cup and he was fantastic. Um, but they won that game as whenever they then went on to play a better team and they lost. So his Six Nations, or Six Nations, Schools Cup career. I suppose it amounted to two games. Now somebody like that, again, not a perfect example, just the one that I'm using. A promising player at one of those tier two schools should now get four compet- more competitive games at schools level a year rather than two. So we'll leave the Schools Cup there. If you want to see more details about it, all the details are on the Belfast Telegraph Sport website, including the draw for those group stages. So check that out. Moving on to our listener questions uh, Patrick Shaw wants to know who's going to win the Ice Hockey World Championships Patrick this is a rugby podcast but it'll be the USA uh, I think Canada will win are they in it? yeah 
And yes, Canada is a very oh big ice hockey nation. Well, I, don't, I genuinely don't know what competition. <laughs> I, I was just, I was just going to breeze over this but question. I'm going to say the Canadians. You, I just like to be contrary <laughs> to your predictions for some reason this week. Uh, Matthew McNabb asks if Ulster reach the final of the Pro 14 then what Champions Cup pot will they go into Johnny you were trying to work that out earlier I was going to say this seems like a classic Gareth question permutations if they win this week then they can either be in pot 1 no matter what but it'll be the luck of the draw or pot 2 and if they lose they can only be the 4th seed from the Pro 14 which would put them in pot Three. Three. Yes. Yes. And as long as they don't get La Rochelle, then I'll be happy. <laughs> uh, John Steenson asks, which of the four provinces will be most affected by World Cup call-ups next season? Now, we know that Leinster are going to dominate most of the squads, so we're assuming he's asking which will be, which will struggle who's, who's the most. The yeah, who's the hardest hit by their call-ups? Um, it's an interesting one because obviously Connacht did so well and ultimately won the league in the last World Cup season because they lost so few players. They'll lose more this year, so it'll be interesting to see if they have the depth to put up with maybe losing five, six players. Um, you know, if the likes of Jack Cardi, Marmion, um, Aki, Delan, possibly even Thornbury, and then... The Quinn Rue, of course, the wild card selections that you get when somebody gets injured in a August training game, you know. Yeah. Um, so I'd say it's possibly Connacht this year, whereas four years ago they came out the best from it, you know. Do you agree, Michael? Yeah, I would actually. Um, they they have the potential to lose all those players, and they might even there might be another one or two that get picked up somewhere along the way. I don't think they have any way of coping with that. Um, their entire season, their form is based on that core of players and if you take them away I don't see any strength and depth really coming through for them, I'm not even aware that they've really got much coming through you know, signings wise necessarily either, um, I think it's going to be a real struggle for them yeah. uh, Our final listener question it's the weekly donal uh, and it's quite a lengthy one as tends to be the case with Ireland comprehensively beaten by England in the Six Nations and Sarri's comfortable winners over Leinster at the weekend do you think that the importance of the RFU's player management programme is overstated or will it all be worthwhile when we win the World Cup I don't think it's overstated because I don't think you can use Saracens and even England as the test case because they're the extremes they've got so many players, so many good players, that whenever Ireland are competing with England, they're punching above their weight, and just in terms of numbers. The player management um, programme in general, if you look at it, has produced three um, teams in the semi-finals of the Pro 14, four teams in the last six of the Pro 14, um, three teams in the last eight of the Champions Cup, one team in the last eight of the Challenge Cup. So Ireland rugby, both provincially and internationally, is still punching above its weight. And you, I don't think you can be waylaid by the fact that you get beat by Saracens in the final because Saracens are a historically good team. You compare them more to the rest of England who didn't make even the last eight of Europe. <laughs> 
You're looking at me as if I have the answer here. I was trying to remember March, and it was definitely only one English team, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. Um, it works. The system works. We know it works. Obviously, people get gripes about it when they wear the provincial goggles. Um, and you might argue that Leinster might have a gripe about it too, because look at their bench there on Saturday. They had Joey Carberry maybe on that bench. What difference would that have made? But the fact is that it's all about the national team. Uh, that's The professional game here is structured like a pyramid towards that. And that has always been the case, and uh, that's how the system works. And, uh, you know, we should know that by now, and it, it is successful. Also, don't overlook the fact that Ireland are going to a World Cup with a 37-year-old captain and their most important player is 33. Mm. True. True. Although I thought Stockdale was 22. <laughs> no? <laughs> anyway. Well, I was going to say Ulster bias coming through, but that's not an Ulster bias. That's a, that's a Wallace High bias coming through. Anyway, that it, those are all the listener questions we have for this week. Thank you very much for sending them and in. That's the last one, man, always. Isn't it? It's the last one, because obviously we'll lose and Ulster will lose on Friday, and that's it. Oh, well, we'll still have to do a review. We'll have a review. Oh, okay. In fact, on that note, Big Jim did ask which Ulster players will be going to the World Cup. Jim, we'll ask that question in our last podcast of the year, which will not be next week, because Ulster are going to win. It probably won't be next week, even if they lose, because we'll probably have to do a Glasgow review and then a season review. But anyway, yeah. okay. anyway, to get to. Yes, thank you all That's for it. sending through your questions. Uh, as always, send them through with the hashtag #AskURR, and we will get them next week. Gents, thank you very much for joining me as per usual. Michael, you've hit your magic double figures. The season, I have, I know, amazing. I don't know who, who would have thought it. Who would have thought it? <laughs> you have to aim for 15 next year, now. Oh. You, have to, you have to keep going, and then it's 20, isn't it? And uh, we've had this discussion, and then yeah. you keep going. Yes, thank you very much. Yes, thanks for having me. From Jonathan Bradley, thanks very much. And from me, Adam McKenzie, thank you very much.